everyone. Welcome to Conversations with Nicole. Today, my guest is Cyril Prabhu, founder of Proverbs 226. He began the organization in 2012. The goal of Proverbs 226 is to provide children with proper education and the tools to mend their relationship with their parent and or parents who've been incarcerated. The name Proverbs 226 comes from the Bible verse, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Cyril is also the author of Are You Dancing in the Rain? His podcast is called Be Encouraged. I'm excited to have Cyril on the show today, and this is part one. Cyril, thank you for being a part of my show today. I appreciate you. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. I'm so excited. I don't know how many of the uh, listeners know about uh, um, World Vision or a Compassion International. These are organizations that take like a $30, $35 and send them over to third world countries like China, India, Japan, and so on. Right? Uh, I was a kid, um, you know, uh, where uh, when I was six months old, I was abandoned. Uh, by my dad and um, even though it, at that point it was probably a misery but today that is my ministry right and so um, from there I, I grew up in my uncle's house and along the way uh, there were two people Annie and Graham from uh, Wales Australia took time to send a 30-35 so I'm a product of many that has invested in my life along the way um, to become who I am today. And so um, what I'm doing, Nicole, is like a payback uh, for what all these people have done in my life to become a, one point as a senior vice president in Bank of America. It is someone's grace that I was able to get here, right? But how I landed up with the prisons and the prison system in this country is very unique, like what you said. Um, when I came into this country, 93, right, uh, is when I came here. And uh, one of the things that any Indian would do when they come into this country, we need to have computers at home, right? Otherwise, we get like a nervous that we don't have that. And so here I am, um, you know, went to buy a computer from a store in uh, San Leandro, California. And what happened there, Nicole, is this, um, that the, the Sales guy said it's like a fourteen seventy five. So I took the money uh, of fifteen one hundred dollar bills. Right. So I just like uh, gave it to that guy, and he said that he didn't have a change for hundred dollar because it was all hundred dollar bills. Right. So I left my fourteen hundred, went down to get the change, but I was like in the streets of San Leandro asking people, "Do you have a change?" You know. So people were just like moving away from me, thinking. Why is this Asian guy running around with a $100 bill? And where did he get the $100 bill, right? So when I got the change, like 20, 30 minutes later, I came back up. And then I found out, like, the guy who took my 1400 is missing. Mm. Not only that, there were three or four other guys standing in the counter saying, come on in. So I walk in, right? And I did not realize what had happened between the time I went out and came back in. That store had been taken over by a bunch of people. And when they had come into the store, they all had the masks, right? And so 
they did not realize there's one more guy that is outside is going to walk in. So they all had taken the mask out and I'm walking in. So I saw them by face at this point, right? So they're saying like a face down, face down, don't look at us. This is just like a noise and there's like a click of a sound of the uh, gun. And in my mind, it's still not sinking. The guns can shoot, right? Because I've never seen gun in my life. And so I pushed their gun, which was on my chest, I pushed the gun, and I'm looking for my $1,400, right? And so soon they they just like pushed me on the floor, tied my hands to the back and my legs together, plastered my mouth and uh, the plaster all around, uh, you know, to, to, to shut my mouth. And they dragged me to this dark room. Mm. And I see the sales guy who took my $1,400 tied up just like me, right? And it is uh, probably um, a bad time to be in a bad place, right? Um, and, and the thing is, Nicole, when we see our life to almost to the end, like um, you saw the death very close by. They could have shot that night in 94, right? Uh, but somehow God spared my life from there. So to me, they call every day is a gift. Every minute is a gift. Mm-hmm. My life would have been ended at that point. I could have been gone. But God gave me this opportunity to, uh, you know, live another day, live another moment. So to me, every day is a gift. It is. And from that, you decided something had to change to help people not to go down this path. So how did um move from there is that uh, initially it all started, uh, my day job, Nicole, is a data mining. So I just like, uh, this is uh, what I do for my living, you know? So when you have like a millions of rows, that's what, uh, you know, that's where I survive better. And so I started to mine the data about the guys who put me through this. Right. I, I was trying to find out who are these people? Why are they doing it? What is driving these people to do it? I just wanted to find out about these guys. And it didn't happen overnight. The first two, three months, it was like a nightmare thinking about like what happened in that room. But once I gotten over that point, I was just starting to do all these research. And then what led to the other, I realized it's not just them. There is a systemic downfall that is leading them into this. Nobody with the right mind will go and rob a bank or rape somebody or do something, you know, to somebody else if they have all their needs met. It's true. There is something broken here. That's what led to looking uh, towards the prison system. And I realized how broken some of those pieces are. So there is a systemic downfall that is happening to this nation. And uh, so first I thought this is an African-American problem because all my data was pointing towards that. Uh, Any African-American that is born today, right, has a high probability of going to a, one out of three African-Americans that are born today has a, a, you know, a huge probability of going into a prison jail or die before the age 30, right? Those uh, 
Uh, also, another pro uh, data that pointed me to say one out of three men in large cities in America are serving time in prison or serve time in prison. One out of three. Uh, and so I thought this was an African-American problem, right? But then I see another group of people that is in a large set that is inside the prison, which is like the Hispanics or a Latino population. Between these two, it varies from city to city and the state to state. But if we put them all together, 66% of population comes from either African-American community or the Hispanic community, right? And uh, and so there's got to be some commonality between them. And, it's, and as I was researching through this, and I found out that eight out of 10 Latino moms in this country that are giving birth are single moms. Mm. So it's the single in mom. One end, uh, yeah, so the one end, we don't have fathers at home and men at home. And the other end also, there is no men at home. Right. So the commonality between them is not having fathers at home. Nicole, this is my theory. If we can bring fathers back into the lives of these children, the crime in this nation will come down. Profound. There is absolutely no one can dispute these facts that are happening around us. And, and so... Um, the other thing that I found I found very alarming in all my research is this, right? One out of eight kids that goes to elementary school does not complete high school. Mm. Right? That's sad. And every year, close to 6.6 .6 million children are dropping out of school every year, right? In this country, no country like this no developed country like America uh, has lost its vision on education like USS. Yeah. Right? How can we have like this many people drop out of school, right? And the other thing is 75% of the national crime in this country is done by high school dropouts. In fact, we lose 25% of these children after they come to high school, right? And so in some cases, what was very alarming for me is that the, 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 the cops are waiting in their school for the kids to show up so the kids drop out, right? And when I found all these data, especially with the children, right? We have well over 63,000 children that are serving time in prison, jail, or some correctional system today. Isn't that so sad? Children in jail. It, it, it's horrific that we even have a sentence like that. Right. And in, in fact, like, uh, you know, um, 10,000 of these children are below the age 13. 3,000 of these children are serving time in prison without parole. Which country, uh, you know, allows this much of uh, you know, uh, atrocity to the next generation. Because if we take the next generation out of this picture, then we don't have a future uh, for these children. 
you know, what happens to these teenagers that end up ending up in a prison or jail as a teenager spending 25 to 30 years in prison, coming out of the prison, how good is their life going to be? Their life and their identity and uh, everything that they believe in is circled around this prison system, right? And so I took all this data that I researched on, Nicole, uh, and nearly for seven years, I've went around talking just like this to churches and nonprofits after nonprofits. For seven years, no one gave a room for me to do anything. And so finally, in 2012, I went to this one prison. I stood there in Kershaw Correctional in South Carolina. And I told those fathers, I want to stop your children from coming into prison. I know my why at that point was very clear. I know why I'm doing it. I know the the what even very clearly because the, the, the data uh, had uh, enough information. But I did not know my how. How am I going to do it? It wasn't very clear. And so... Um, from there, uh, Nicole, what I did is, uh, uh, I, 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 uh, from the very beginning, uh, had this vision to stop one million children from going into prison. That's the vision. For if we take Proverbs two to six at the, at the core of it, that's what it is. We want to stop a million children from going into prison. People say, like, where will you find this million? I'll talk about it in a minute, but. The how part of to take it to the next level wasn't there. So here's what I did. Come uh, June of 2012, I took school supplies into the prison and I turned that prison into a Walmart. Right? I allowed these fathers to pack the school supplies. There was just like an excitement with these dads standing in these long lines. And uh, they would come and they packed the bag. And uh, we had separated these bags to go to Columbia, Greenville, Charleston. The music in that room was like, you know, the, it was so loud and excitement, right? And so we took that school supplies one of the cities that we were supposed to go is Columbia, which is where Columbia, South Carolina. A lot of our kids were there, right? And uh, close to 88 children were from that area, from that first batch of fathers that uh, we had. So I took these school supplies to Columbia, rented a, a place uh, in the middle of the town, and uh, invited the families to come. I had like a sheriff of Columbia there, uh, had like a, a wardens and chaplains. Uh, we had a music band. We had Coca-Cola send some food and uh, water. Uh, we even had like a Fort Jackson send army men. We had volunteers. It was just like a big deal because it was our very first event. So Cyril, right? just to be clear, were these the children of their fathers were in prison, right? So what you're, right. what you're doing where you were helping these fathers do something exciting for their children who are on the outside and we're empowering these kids to see my father cares, my heart will change and you're bringing them together 
so some healing can begin. I want the audience to understand they were putting these backpacks together for their very own children that were coming to Columbia to receive a gift from their father. So this is how the healing begins and to keep the children from not repeating what their fathers did, correct? Yes, absolutely. And the thing is that the bags had like a love letter from their father and also a blessing so they can, you know, bless the kids before they go to school. But here's what happened, Nicole. Only four out of the 88 showed up. Oh, no. It it was very heartbreaking because uh, the families did not even believe that this is even possible to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Only four children should have almost like if somebody threw their hand uh, into my chest and pulled my heart out and threw it on the floor. I was crying, thinking, God, I thought this was your vision and you wanted this to happen for these children. I've done everything to get to this point and these kids haven't showed up. Right. And so we sent the book bags to the uh, to their homes. I had volunteers, so I sent the book bags. And the families threw the book bag out and said, we didn't want to do anything with them. Uh, The hurt and pain was so real, Nicole. Um, These kind of like bags or anything like this is not going to change overnight their perspective about these men. So I went back to the drawing board. But the one thing I know for sure is uh, quitting is not an option. Okay. And so that that wasn't even in my mind. So I was trying to figure out what's next. How do I, you know, get past this one? Uh, even though I was like broken inside in a million pieces, sure. you know. Um, and so I took the following year, March of following year, I took 18 children to go see their fathers. In fact, I have the... Um, the whole event recorded by Billy Graham Association. So I have that um, for people to see in our uh, media page. And so these 18 fathers and 18 children came together and I had asked these fathers to get on their knees and wash their children's feet and ask for forgiveness. Because if you are real to your children, If you show that part of yourself to your children, then your children will respond back to you. That was the the core of that effort. Nicole, here's what happened. There were kids, very young kids, as old as six months old, showed up that day, right? Those were perfect. Those were during the time of like um, the Easter and... uh, And so there was a lot of resemblance to the Last Supper and everything was happening in that moment in time. But more than the children, those 18 fathers, they were were part of the program, but they were not part of like what I was trying to address. 18 fathers who washed their children's feet when they got released from prison, not even one of them came back to prison. The that thing is, is the difference. Oh, that is the difference. I mean, you talk programs. about like, a, a, yeah, across this nation, yeah. we've been doing prison fellowship, we have been doing prison efforts, 
Prison Fellowship has been in, in place since 1974. When they started the journey, right, in 1974, we only had 250,000 people in prison. Today, we have 2.3 million people in prison. Mm. Right. This nation hasn't grown by 450% for us to have this many people in prison. Right. And the one thing that many of the prison ministries work on is recidivism. And I'm not putting any of them down because there, there is a role for everybody to play uh, in this space. Right. Um, and they're working towards like uh, helping these fathers to change their lives so that uh, the measure that they have is the recidivism, right? That's the term used for repeat offense. And so the national average is at 70%, 70% chance that if you get out of prison, right, in the first three to six months, you ending back into prison is about 70%, right? But in this last 10 years, Nicole, right, these fathers that have washed their children's feet, only 1.8% has come back to prison compared to a national 70%. Sarah, why is that? Why is that? What's the difference? What are you doing differently? Two, two or three things, right? Number one, we're bringing families into the picture. We're bringing the children and we're trying to help them be a platform. We, we don't need to solve everybody's problem, but we can be a platform for them to solve their problem. Um, when, uh, you know, uh, Albert Einstein wrote a theory, he said, like, uh, if, if you are trying to solve a problem and if, if you are doing exact same thing and uh, expect a different result, that's insanity, right? Yeah. So you need to have a paradigm shift from what they're doing. Right. A lot of great programs like a Big Brother, Big Sister that is out there. They're working with the children outside. There are great ministries like a prison fellowship that is working inside the prison. So the thing is they are working in two separate corridors, right? When the guy gets out of the prison, gets in touch with their children, right? If that father is not uh, melted and molded, mm -hmm. he's going to come and hurt these children and hurt these families and ends up going back into right. prison. Or if the children are not part of Big Brother, Big Sister, and the father is like a really ministered by prison fellowship, comes out and the children shut them off, this father ends up going back to prison. Well, there's been a disconnect. You're bringing yeah. them, you're connecting them. You're bringing yeah. them together. That's that's the difference. So right. because you you have to warm up to someone, and and you and you have to have forgiveness. Absolutely. So, that is so the that's key. the second part yes. of this. The core. If I take the, the the whole effort that we're doing, condense them right in the core of it. It's about forgiveness. Yeah. Right. And uh, I believe it was Pastor Stephen from uh, Elevation Church. He talks about like, a, you know, you cannot give what you do not have. Yeah. Right. If you do not have forgiveness towards that person, you know, if you haven't even forgiven yourself. Sure. But most of the time, the fathers that are inside the prison, the hardest thing for them to do is to forgive themselves. 
So if they haven't forgiven themselves, right, they cannot forgive or they cannot ask for forgiveness from someone else. So when you bring them together and have the fathers get on their knees and ask for forgiveness by washing their feet, what we are doing is uh, we are restoring and rebuilding that relationship in that I moment. I can't even imagine the relief they must feel to know that society thinks I'm so horrible for whatever they've done. Human garbage. That's how yes. they feel. They're feeling like a human garbage. And but as Christians, you are forgiven. Your Amen. God forgives you. And you can say, I I know I've done wrong, but I want to do better. My God forgives me. L please forgive myself and son or daughter. I'm asking you forgive for forgiveness. And when you can take that burden away from someone, you do give them that chance to be whole again and to not feel like trash. And we owe it to everyone because we haven't walked in the shoes of people that have ended up in prison. We don't know what they've dealt with in life. And we owe it to them to give them that opportunity to do better, to be better, you know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, the thing, uh, somebody even asked me earlier this week, I was in another interview, and they asked me, Cyril, what's your biggest hurdle? What was, in this last 10 years, what has been your biggest challenge? I, I, I told them, it's the church. I, I, I told them that there's no way that I sacrificed my Christ or my God Inside the prison, I've done, you know, everything possible to take and model. I may not have preached the word like how some of the churches preach to their people. I may not have done that part, but I lived that part inside. But the hardest thing, Nicole, for me is to convince the churches to come and be part of this journey. Right. I, I've I've even fought with the church in several occasions. I was telling them, explain to me what Matthew 25, 40 says, because it says I was naked. I was hungry. I was sick. I was in prison. You came and you clothed me. You fed me. You um, came to visit and uh, you were there to uh, in uh, with me uh, to come and see me in prison. And when the righteous ask when did we do this for you, God? And Jesus says, like, when you have done it to the least of these, you have done it unto me. These guys, when they get released from prison, they're lost. Yeah. They're lost without hope. They're, they're, they're almost like a, in a, they're like a lion lost in the jungle. Which is why you need to help them while they're in there so that when they come out, they're not lost. They are found with their families, with their children, so they can become productive citizens. And they're not just getting back into the same habits that they were before that got them there. Yes. Putting it out there. So for those that are listening today, this may be something that they want to take back to their churches and, and do differently. But thanks for joining me for part one of my conversation with Cyril. Join me tomorrow for part two.